sometimes when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to know. How do you know if you're on the right or the wrong side? How do you know if what you're doing is, is really for God or, or if you've just kind of been a product of your environment? See, because Paul was doing what he was doing because that's what he had been raised that he, was a t- he, could, he could quote from you the Old Testament inside and out. He, he knew Genesis and Exodus and Levit- Leviticus. Every law, every 600 and something law that was in there, he knew all of it. He could quote it, and he was doing all of these things for God. He, could, he, could, he, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisees of Pharisees. He was the man, and he was doing all of this for God. All the time on the wrong side. Because we see that God gets a hold of him and says, why are you persecuting me? And so like, you've got to ask ourselves the question. Like, we can could, we could see it, obviously, in other people's lives. But what about in our own lives? Have we ever found ourselves on the wrong side? And maybe doing things that we thought we were even doing them for God, and really God had to get a hold of us and say, wait, wait, that, that's, that's, not, that's not me at all. You, you, you've been a product of your environment. You've been a product of your culture. And see, whether we like it or not, on some levels of that, it has affected every one of us. You are a product of what you come to know as American Christianity and your faith and and your parents and what you've been taught in church and what you've been taught by your parents. And, and, And on some levels, you live that out not based on what you've read in the scriptures, but what you've been taught and what you've learned from others. Uh, let me give you a good example of this. Uh, I spent quite a few years in Indonesia, and over there the food is different. It's just different. And, and there was this one time where I was going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I was so excited because I was like, man, this is, you don't get to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in Indonesia, so I'm going to have one. And so they, they pulled out this jar of peanut butter, and they, they threw it on some bread, they threw some, and, and I bit into this peanut butter, and I thought to myself, this is horrible. This is the worst peanut butter I've ever tasted in my life. And you want to know what, what, what the deal with that peanut butter was? Is it because it was 100% pure peanut butter. It was 100% pure peanut butter. Like, they made that. I was like, man, the reason why it tastes so bad to me is because it doesn't have any, like, yellow number seven and glycol 15 purple da that's, give me some of that in the GIF. Give me some of that. Come on. You know, some chunky extra chip. You know, give me some of that stuff. That's a, you know. See, y'all, y'all have experienced it too. If you've ever eaten at McDonald's, you, you have been fooled to believe that that is actually a cheeseburger. <laughs> y'all, that is not a cheeseburger. Have you ever listened to some of the commercials? Like on the commercials, if you notice some of these fast food places, they say this. 100% real beef. Like, seriously? We have gotten to the point where you have to actually say that as if there's alternatives. Like, we don't know what's in this meat. It's just mystery spam burger. Like, you know? Like, we have to say, oh, it's 100% real meat. Like, no, like, that's how it was intended. It's supposed to be. But we've become so accustomed to, like, the fake And so accustomed to all of these other things that even our taste buds have acquired of, well, this is what a cheeseburger is supposed to taste like. And sometimes that happens exactly with our faith. 
We become in tune to such, such things and such expressions of what we believe spirituality looks like that we've, when, when we get a taste of the real thing, we're kind of like, ooh, wait, hold on, uh-uh. See, I'm thoroughly convinced that, like, if Jesus was here right now in the flesh, no one would recognize him because he wouldn't be spiritual enough, right? He just wouldn't be spiritual enough for church. Because, like, our idea of Jesus is this, man, Jesus just kind of floats. He hovers six inches above, the, and he wears, like, like, all we can see is transfiguration, Jesus. He just shines, and it's just glide, and it's just, and he's, like, blonde hair, blue-eyed, you know, Fabio kind of guy. Like, dude, he was a Jew. Like, seriously, that's not how Jesus looked. And, and you know, we kind of have this idea, but, but here's the thing. Like, we would, we, would, we would just, oh, yeah, that's, who's that guy? I don't know. Oh, that's Jesus. What? That can't be Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment. 2,000 years ago, the big problem on the streets of Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas was that a man could be God. Because when they saw Jesus, they saw a man. Fast forward 2,000 years. Now what's our problem? We have a problem believing that God could be man. See, like we have the idea of like, oh yeah, there's, there's the God that's up there and the, he could do all of that and, and miracles. And all, but, like, but the God that walks among us and the God that bleeds and the God that has flesh and bones and was there and he came and stepped out of heaven and into humanity, well, I, I don't know about that. So that's, that's, not, that's not spiritual enough. And, and so we kind of have all of these ideas of what we believe, and sometimes we get on the wrong side of Christianity. And, and, and I got to thinking about, God, how do I know? How do I know in my own soul, Lord, if I've just been sold out to this kind of American Christianity, and I'm not really following you, but I've just been following what I've been taught that you haven't taught. Because another thing that it says right here in the scriptures is uh, original Christians, when, when they were first coming into believing about Christ, they weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. So if you were a believer and you believed in Jesus, you were a follower of the way. And this comes where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when he says that, that is a defining statement. That is a moment. It's like, if you're wondering what the way is, Jesus. If you're wondering what the truth is, Jesus. If you're wondering where life is and where it can be found, Jesus. Like, period. The end. And so when if you, were, you came into relationship and believing in Christ, you were like, man, who is that? I don't know. They were a follower of the way. They were a follower of the way of Jesus. Are we following the ways of Jesus? How can we tell? How do we know if we've given into some kind of a false spirituality? Uh, there's a few things. One of the things is this. How do you treat people when they're at their worst? Let me say that again. How do you treat people when they are at their worst? Because here in this moment, here in this scripture, we have Paul, or Saul, it's going to be Paul, and he is at his worst. He has literally gotten letters from the leading priests, leading people of the day, and he is literally putting people in chains. How do we treat people when they try to put us in chains? We'll get back to that in a moment. There's this story uh, I heard not too long ago 
um, a pastor. He's given permission uh, to tell this story. It happened some time ago. Um, but he was telling the story of, it was, I want to say maybe seven, eight years ago, and he's raising his kids. One of his kids, he says, this is the one time, the one time my, my son, I think he was 16, 17 years old, 16 years old, and he, he's leaving the house, going out. He was going to, to a party or something with his friends. And he said, I didn't, I didn't ask him the question I always ask him, uh, you know, what are you going to be doing? You know, I, he, just, I just, I just, he just went. He said, this was the one time. He said, a few hours later, he got the call. Police. They had been at this party, there had been some alcohol, there had been all of this other thing. And, and this is a, a very, very well-known public figure pastor, and the, the police are calling him about his son. He says he shows up to the scene, and I guess there was a couple cars, uh, different boys. They had been at this party. The cops found them. Uh, they, they had been drinking. Anyway, so he, he gets to his car, and he, he pulls up. All the lights are flashing, and he noticed that one boy's father has already gotten there. And that boy's father is just like absolutely just tearing him up. Just like, I can't believe what you've done. And, it, and he said he just sat there in his car for a moment. And he felt like he, the Holy Spirit said to him, be very careful on how you treat this next moment. Be very careful on how you treat this next moment. So he just sat there for a moment. He said he got out of the car. He walked up to the police uh, the officer's car that his son was sitting in, his son was sitting in the back seat, he opened up the door, he looked at his son in the eyes. He said, I want you to know this. I've never loved you more than I do right now. I've never loved you more than I do right now. And then he said, you've never needed me more than you do right now. I've never loved you more than I do right now. There's nothing you could do, son, that will ever change my love for you. And he said his son just broke down, just bawling, crying. And, and, and there's this moment where his son was just at his worst. And while we were yet sinners. And while we were yet sinners. Not when you got all cleaned up. Not when you got everything right. Not when you said all the right words and could say all the right prayers and looked all the right way on the outside. While we were yet sinners, while you were at your worst, while you were still at odds with God, Christ came and died. And he loves us. And he pours out his acceptance and his grace and his love and his peace to this world. And this is true spirituality. How we treat people when they're at their worst. When you're trying to throw chains on me and haul me off. And my, my daughter, um, she's gotten into this movie on Netflix. It's called The Emoji Movie. Had anybody seen that? Hands up for The Emoji Movie. There's not enough parents in here. We need some more. All y'all new parents have seen it. Yeah. So there's this Emoji Movie where these little uh, emojis that you could use on their phone. These are the characters of the show. And... There's one particular emoji, he's, he's high five. And there's another emoji where he's supposed to be a certain smiley face or something, but he just can't get it right. And so they, 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 they hook up together, there's, there's high five and, and messed up smiley, and they're afraid that they're going to get kicked out of emoji world. But there's this moment in the movie, and, and my daughter just loves it. I love it too, you know. <laughs> my daughter loves it, air quotes. 
Like, we've watched it 10 times. Anyway, so where high five says to smile emoji, he says, like, listen, here's the thing. We, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to do all these plans so that way we can get back on top. Because everybody loves you when you're on top. It's like, it's just like I remember back in the day, everyone used to high five. Nobody high fives anymore. I've gotten down to the end of the emoji bin. I'm about to be deleted because nobody knows how to high five anymore. It's all fist bumps and stuff. So like in the spirit of emoji, can we all like high five your neighbor real quick? Just like, boom, come on. Y'all don't even know how to do it. You take your hand and you just, you press your hand against your neighbor's hand. That is called a high five. Oh my gosh. Holy cow, we've got a lot more Bible lessons to learn in here. <sighs> but they're having this, and it says, like, but everyone will love you as long as you're on top. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He loves you when you're on the bottom. He loves you when you've failed and you're no longer in style anymore. He loves you when you're not cool he loves you when everyone else has something negative to say about you. Jesus says, that's my boy. That's my girl. It doesn't matter if you're on top. It doesn't matter if you're on the bottom. Because the truth of the matter is there's times where we're on the bottom, and Jesus says, no, 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 you're actually really on top. And there's times where we think that we're on top, Saul, but the truth is we're really on the bottom, and Jesus has to say, hold on, why are you persecuting me? See, you thought you were on top. All of your boys were giving you high fives and telling you how good you were. You were the Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisees of Pharisees, but the truth is you're actually persecuting me. And, and Jesus has a way of doing this. Jesus, Jesus has a way of flipping things around. He turns Saul's into Paul's. He takes Peter's and turns them into rocks. He takes prodigal sons, and while they were still afar off, runs after them. While he was still afar off, while he was still covered in all of his dirt and all of his shame and the pig slot was still falling off of his arms, he ran after him. That's my boy. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight. And he brings what was low and he brings it high and he takes what's high and he brings it low. See, Paul is in this moment where he is kind of like the older brother in the prodigal story. Well, he's on the outside of the camp, and he doesn't even know that he's missing the party. And I just wonder sometimes, is that the case with us here in America? How oftentimes, like, do we fall into the category of the older brother? You want to know how you fall into the category of the older brother? Is you sit outside of the party, and anything that goes on, you just like to complain about it. I just, I just need to complain. Dad, what, what are you doing? Why are you throwing him a party? I don't know. I'm just going to sit out here and pout. Why are they doing this? Why, why have they done it that way? Why? And like, all we do is complain and complain and complain, and we miss the party. And to which the, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. The father comes and he says, listen, anytime you want, you can come too. I could have a party like this for you anytime. And so, so whether you're low or whether you're high, you're high, Jesus' grace is big enough for all. 
Jesus, whether, whether you're the prodigal and you're, you're at the very bottom of the pit or whether you think you're on top, God's saying, come on. My grace is enough. My mercy is enough. My love is enough. You could come in. I will, I will leave the party. I will leave the 99 to come after the one. Because don't you know that your brother that once was lost and now he's found, come on. Come on. Grace is big enough for all of us. And the truth is some of, sometimes we can relate more to the Pharisee than we can the prodigal. And the truth is sometimes for some of our spiritual journeys, we will have been both. We will have been both. And in both times, you need his grace. You need his mercy. And every time God gets a hold of us, here's the thing, God, all this has happened with, with Saul. And he gets a hold of him. He says, I've got, well, actually, let me back up. Paul's response after, after the Lord has gotten a hold of him is, what do you want me to do? Because he knows once God gets a hold of you, something's got to change. I can't keep doing what I've been doing, but I also know being a part of your kingdom means you've got something for me to do. And his first thing is, what do you want me to do? And God's like, I'm going to show you. It ain't going to be what you think, but I'm going to show you. But wait, hold on. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have, you have for me. Plans that, yep. But there's going to be some things that you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. It's so like one of the biggest questions I get all the time, all the time is like, uh, is this question that Paul is, is asking, you know, what is, what is the, the Lord has me to do? What, what am I supposed to do? And what is God's calling? What, what am I supposed to walk in? And, and there's these ideas. Let me give you a few things this morning that God is calling you to. One. When God calls you, his plans and callings for your life aren't really optional. There's no like, hey, you could do this, or Paul, you could do this. It doesn't really work that way with Jesus. It might work that way with, like, your spouse at dinner time. You could have chicken or steak. You have a choice. Like, the other day I came home, and my wife was talking to my four-year-old about dinner and giving her options. I was like, why are you giving our four-year-old options? I never had that growing up. My mom simply burnt the chicken and said, this is what you're going to eat. <laughs> you know you did. I love you, mom. But we didn't have no options. As a matter of fact, you're going to sit there all night long until you eat them greens, boy. Like, this is it. She was just teaching me this is how Jesus works. This is, this is going to be, Israel. You're going to go in. You're going to take this promised land. But there's giants. You're going to go in. You're going to take this promised land. Uh, we'll just hang out here. Hey, listen. Somebody's going to do it. You, you kind of have a choice, B. You could just wander in the desert until you die. That's, I'm, that's literally what happened. Or we could do what God told us to do. And see, but the thing is, anytime God tells us to do something... He is always calling us into something dangerous. Because sometimes in this passage, the first thing that gets, that gets brought up is Paul. Like, because this is an amazing transformation that's happened in his life. But have you ever looked at the life of Ananias right here? Ananias is a believer, a follower of the way. He's hanging out. He's loving Jesus. Things are good. Jesus shows up to him and says, okay, I've got a plan for you. This is what you're going to do. I'm sending you to this dude named Saul. And Ananias is like, whoa. 
hold on, Jesus. I don't know if you've heard about this guy, but this is the equivalent of like a terrorist. As a matter of fact, he's got papers that if I even get in his presence, he could lock me up and throw me in prison. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the boy. That's who I'm sending you to. Wait a minute, hold on. That don't sound like a good plan. I'm going to die. And Jesus is like, but that's what I want you to do. This is the plan that God has for your life. No, I'm serious. This is the plan. That's what Christianity is all about. Come and die so that you could live. But we're like, hey, if we could just skip that part, Jesus. If we could go straight to the like, life part. If we could go straight to the... I know, like, hold on, let me back up another second. Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the most famous scriptures in, in American, like we love Jeremiah 29, but I know the plans I have for you, plan to give you hope, prosper, future, like man, it's on somebody's license plate right now in the parking lot, I guarantee it. Y'all got the bumper stickers. And it's a great verse. The only problem is y'all don't know the whole chapter, right? Go on, like read the chapter, Read that verse inside the context in which you are quoting it. That verse is a letter that is written to people that are in captivity. As a matter of fact, it literally says, to those of you that have been hauled away to Babylon, to a place that you don't want to be, I know the plans I have for you. (laughs) And these are the plans. He actually lays out the plans there. This is what's going to happen. In 70 years... I'm going to come back. Whoa, whoa. If you're hearing this and you're like 30 years old, you're like, I ain't going to make it. <laughs> God, that ain't a very good plan. Can we skip to the all, all that? Good? It's like, no, what I want you to do is I want you to build houses right here. I want you to plant vineyards right here. I want you to get married right here. I want you to raise your kids right here in a land that you don't want to be in. Because this is the plan I have for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go even a step further. I want you to pray for that city that is holding you captive. This is the plan I have for you. This is how I'm going to prosper you. This is how, because it's going to be how you treat people when they're at their worst. This is the way of Jesus. You you, want to curse me, but I'm going to bless you. I know you want to speak evil and do all these manners of evil against you, but here's the thing. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And you know what? I'm just going to bless you. I remember this one time I was, I was in college, and there was this guy that, man, just annoying, just annoying dude. Like, y'all have those people in your life. You know who I'm talking about. This dude was annoying, and he, was, he would always just be a jerk. And I remember one time I was working a couple jobs, and one of my jobs was this horrible job of washing dishes at the school, not picnic zone, lunch zone, cafeteria. That's the word, a big word, too many syllables in that word. I was washing dishes in the cafeteria. I can't spell it. Anyway, so I felt like the Lord said, I want you to bless him. No, I don't want to bless him. I don't even like this guy. Why do you want me to bless him? And then because I want you to bless him, and I want, to bless, want you to bless him so much, and I don't even want him to know it was you that did it. God, this doesn't seem like a good plan. And so I remember I took some money, and I was, I was broke. So this was like the, all the money I had, and I went to his time card, 
And I put all the money on a paper clip on his time card so that way whenever he punched out, he would see it. And uh, I remember that moment where it happened. And then like five seconds later, he was a jerk to me again. <laughs> and I thought, you just don't even know. You just don't even know. And I just kind of felt like Jesus say, and that's what I did for you. See, God's calling on our lives, man, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. He sends us, he, he, he's, he's sending Ananias to go to talk to this guy that's imprisoning Christians. And, and this just, it doesn't sound like a, a, a good plan. And, and, and oftentimes, like, I even think about Jesus' plan in, in, in humanity that the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. In other words, before he created you, he knew what it was going to cost him. Before he breathed a breath of life into Adam's lungs, he knew that this is going to cost me a cross. This is going to cost me some pain and some suffering. But he did it anyway. And we look throughout the scriptures, and we look at how, how Jesus just, just always... The least of these, he's always pouring out his grace and his mercy, even to the point where he's being crucified on the cross, and he prays for them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. Here, my friends, is one of the biggest keys to true spirituality. Forgiveness. You have got to forgive those that have hurt you. You have got to forgive those that have seek to put you in chains. See, Saul has gone out and he's, he's seeking to, to imprison people. God sent an Ananias like, I want you to go. Not only are you going to go to him, but you're going to pray for him. You're going to bless him. You're going to speak healing over his life because he's blind right now. He's blind. He can't see. And I'm sending you. You're going to speak healing. Something like scales are going to fall from his eyes. You, you've got to be willing to forgive the ones that have hurt you. You've got to be willing to forgive the ones that persecute you. I, I love the scripture where anything that the, the disciples could have asked Jesus, they go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this one thing, teach us how to pray. And Jesus prays this prayer. And the one thing that, that in this prayer that none of us like, can get away from is like, and forgive those. And forgive those. So in the midst of Jesus teaching these lessons to his disciples, know this, forgiveness is a key in your advancement. For you to keep moving forward, for you to learn what it is to truly be a disciple, you've got to learn how to forgive. You've got to learn how to forgive. You've got to learn how to be Christ to the least of these. You've got to know that I take things that are high and I bring them low. I take things that are low and I bring them high. I take disciples, I take fishermen and tax collectors and sinners, and I make them these disciples that are pillars of the church. And I take other ones that are out there trying to kill and to do away with Christianity, and I bring them very low, and then I bring them up again. If everyone will please stand and ask the worship team to come back up. How do we treat people when they're at their worst? Are we being ones that extend forgiveness? I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes for a moment. 
if you're in here this moment, this, this morning and in this moment, and you could kind of say, I, and in some ways I, I can relate. I can relate to Paul. I can relate to knowing what it's like to be on like the wrong side of Christianity, of trying to do all of these things for Christ and just completely failing. I know what it's like to, to enslave others with my words. I know what it's like to, to speak these words of death where God's called me to speak life, but I just... And the truth is sometimes I relate more with the Pharisee than I do the prodigal. If you're in here this morning and right now in this moment, it's just you and God and just, you just need to repent. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for putting chains on your gospel. Lord, I repent. God, I'm sorry for those words that I've spoken that are not from you. Lord, for every time that someone has done evil to me and I've repaid it with evil, God, forgive me. Every time something bad has happened to one of my neighbors and I've thought in my mind, that's what they get, God, forgive me. For every negative word that I've spoken against a brother and a sister, God, forgive me. Get a hold of my life right now in this moment, Jesus. Pour out your grace and mercy on me. I receive it, Lord. Help me to forgive just as I have been forgiven. And if you're in this room today and you relate more to those that are far, maybe you're in here today and you've been enslaved. Maybe there's been a moment in your past where you tried to get right with God, but somebody just slapped the cuffs on you. And your experience with, with God, your experience with church, your experience with a pastor, your experience with Christianity has been one of slavery. You need to forgive. And you need to know even at this moment that the Father is running after you. He wants to pour out his love on you. He wants to pour out his grace on you and his mercy on you. And he is calling you home. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, the life. So if you're in here this morning and you don't know him, you want to make him the Lord of your life, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand real high. Raise your hand real high. And we're going to pray a prayer together. Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Don't miss this moment. 
Don't allow some pain from the past to dictate your future. Because he has a plan for you to give you a hope and life in him. Is there anybody else? I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I repent. I repent. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my everything. I give you my everything. Jesus, come into my, my life. Jesus, come into my life. God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Do with me as you will. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey guys, we have someone this morning that gave their life to the Lord. Can we give it up? Jesus. We want to say, Welcome to the kingdom of God. Let's worship one more time. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea.